0: <laughs> Come apart, we'll <wiggle> go apart. Ah ah ah! Come apart, we'll go apart. Ooh, ooh. Okay. Come apart, we'll go apart. Ah uh, ah uh, ah! Uh. Come apart, we'll go apart.
1: Ooh! we apart, we apart. Ah 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 ah! Yeah. Ah uh, ah uh, ah yeah. Uh. Welcome back to Hot Marriage, Cool Parents. Hey hey hey! If it looks like we are uh, being held hostage, it's because we switched. Part of the the background, uh, I, I reorganized the room in the podcast room and didn't realize that having a uh, blank shutters behind us. Yeah. So but, yeah. for those
2: of you who are listening in your earphones or earphones, earpods, earpods. Yeah. Jeez, it's it's literally midnight when we're recording this yes. right now. But um, I posted this giveaway for all my girlfriends over on Instagram. So if you're listening on the podcast and you haven't been on my Instagram head over there because I have 12 days of giveaways going live right now. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And so I'm good I've, for
1: you, by the way.
2: Thank you. Uh, it feels so good. Like truly it feels better to give than it does to receive. But if so, if you're listening to your AirPod on your AirPods, or, you know, while you're working out or whatever or in your car and you're not watching the YouTube version of this, the background is Doug put blinds up. Doug, you're being so <laughs> Doug. No one wants to hear you drink your water. Um, brought to you by family made (laughs) Jeez, louise doug you are so silly um but no doug put blinds up in our in our office and so now we moved our podcast area to like where the blinds are just because there's more space
1: i don't think it's gonna i don't think this is gonna work out i feel Uh, like we need we need kind of like the bookcase background unless we have like a, a green screen that we can put behind us a green screen yeah. Douglas why would we be
2: well you a know the, green the, screen. the
1: funny part was and I, you know if you went by my Instagram story uh, I did a story about putting up the blinds and when we first moved in I didn't really think too much of it but this is where we keep the ring lights we keep uh, yeah. the, the video cameras that, yeah. that are up and when you're walking the sidewalk you can look right into this room Well, because all you see is ring lights and it really, it looks like a, like you're walking into a porn studio. Like I don't that's think, what it looks like from the sidewalk.
2: I don't think it looks yes. like a
1: porn studio. There's desks in here. I've had many of people reach out to me on Instagram and say, yes, that would look like a porn studio to really? me. Really? It's yes. an
2: office with desks.
1: I There's know. two desks in this room. Yeah, it's kind of messy. There's no floor. <laughs>
2: that, that is true. Okay. So for for I feel like we fast-tracked that. So essentially we were blindless. Like we didn't have any blinds in our house. We still don't have some blinds in our house.
1: The previous owner actually wanted to take some... of the blinds with her.
2: And for some reason I was like, oh yeah, that's okay.
1: Yeah.
2: And like now I come to find out that typically people would A ask them to either replace the blinds or like would charge them. But I was like, oh yeah, just take all the blinds. It's fine. I'll get some. And then in like the hassle of moving and still working and the parenting and just life, blinds were the last thing I was thinking about having to get. I mean
1: Yeah, so we got three blinds here. Jamie wanted plantation shutters, which we didn't get um, and then we They're got very expensive. We have five windows in our bedroom that we're getting shutters. Those haven't, those haven't come in yet, but these aren't small windows. These are yeah. like 52 inches by 70 something inches.
2: Okay. I don't but think anyway, anyone really cares about windows. I don't know about anybody windows. cares about that. <laughs> Does um, anybody else ever have issues with blinds in their house? I don't know.
1: No, but it was, it wasn't something that we were. Thinking about until now, which is—I mean—it's been three months and we haven't had blinds on our windows.
2: Yeah, that is kind of wild. I mean, our kids have blinds on their windows. All the important windows have blinds, which is why I didn't rush. And also, our window faces like our private backyard, so it's not like you know, it's not like people are peeping in. However, our office faces the front, the front road, and so that's why it's like. I don't know, just kind of odd that we have ring lights and video cameras. I would get
1: yelled at for leaving the light on at night.
2: Oh yeah, I was like, Doug, that's embarrassing. Like our office is a pigsty. There's ring lights and there's like video cameras and just- There's totes totes from packing and moving and and also the floor really is unfinished there's no carpet and there's no flooring in here it's just a concrete slab still
1: ripped that ish out
2: yeah it was pretty dirty so we ripped it out um and we just have taken a break on the home renovation a lot of people are asking like when are you going to start that back up to be very honest and I'm very very excited to kind of announce this um but it's not like part of (laughs) me Please Do speak. I know this announcement? You don't. Well, you know what I'm going to talk about, but I'm not going to talk about it. It's not. I'm not giving a big announcement or anything. But oh. we have big things coming in the new year, and um, so between that and the holidays, I don't think we're going to start renovating until until like spring. And yeah. I, and I'm like thinking to myself, oh my gosh! And by then, I'm. I always think I'm going to be pregnant fine. like this month, and so then I'm like, geez, spring! I'll be so pregnant, I don't want to renovate. But like you know, you have. I haven't been pregnant. In- <laughs> like girl just worry about that with if and when that comes yeah, it's been quite a few months yeah and I'm like oh well I would be pr- this far along if I yeah. wait until then and then it's like girl like just stop <laughs> but not for nothing we did get acupuncture fertility acupuncture yes, we well, did. I did
1: and how did you feel about that
2: I felt like it was way more of a to-do than I thought it was going to be like I really thought you go in once you get the the needles put in you and then, you know, you pray for a miracle. But the doctor was like, oh no, fertility acupuncture is like three to six months. It's coming once a two times a, a week. A week yeah. Plus yeah. you take his herbs and you switch the herbs. The Chinese herbs. Yeah. yeah, the Chinese herbs. You switch the herbs based on what part of your cycle you're in. And I was like, whoa, this is a lot. Yeah, the guy and, seemed
1: very sure of himself. Oh like, yeah,
2: no. I mean, people swear by like acupuncture for fertility.
1: I couldn't believe how many people... Had mentioned that that acupuncture worked for them. That was the one thing they tried, and then you know, uh, one month or two months later, they got uh, they got pregnant.
2: pregnant. And but our doctor was like, "No, don't. You know, this isn't going to be like a one take wonder. Like you got to come consistently for three to six months." And well, then, he wants that money. Well, I mean, that's just what he's. He probably doesn't want to guarantee results in a month, anyways, because yeah. that is kind of like high hopes and lots of promises. But
1: but to set the scene. We walk in and they're very, very inviting and we get into this room and I'm thinking that it's just a consultation because that's how the, that's how it was set up. Like this is your first time you're going to get a consultation. I didn't think it was going to be a whole like acupuncture thing. So it was fertility, anxiety, depression. And next thing we know, he's getting out these needles Jamie takes off her socks and shoes. And, Which I
2: don't have a pedicure. Yeah, and so, so I was like, oh,
1: I, wasn't, I didn't know you have to take off your
2: socks and shoes. I don't usually wear underwear. Like, that's a thing. Like, I just, I like you to wear. underwear,
1: though. Oh, I did. Of yeah. course.
2: I was like, if this is fertility acupuncture, I imagine, yeah. like, I I mean, just usually you should be in your underwear. Like, yeah. at least, you know. And so if I go to, like, the doctors or something, I, I wear underwear. But, like, if I'm just, you know like wearing yoga pants like I don't know I just don't like underwear yeah so
1: but we get so we get in there and Jamie gets uh pins in her ears uh in her forehead like right in between her eyes um three in her stomach area one was to open up a fallopian tube uh the one in the middle made Jamie jolt I think he must have hit a nerve yeah he like pushed it down yeah
2: it was like not comfortable and but it wasn't
1: had, that painful though either yeah and then you had some in, in your uh ankles and stuff but it was it was strange because i like there was no blood that, that yeah was after like, i know
2: i was well he doesn't put them in that far i don't think i know but that one in my, you my would, belly
1: he you just, would think there would be maybe just like a little mark or anything like it was nothing. just like that small
2: yeah it's like a little pinprick and people say to relax and he does put on like calming music and there's an infrared light
1: and you yeah, to bring warmth to your belly
2: but it's not that relaxing because you can barely move. Cause if you move like from one way or the other, you're going to poke yourself, like, like yeah. the needle's going to go through your ear and into your brain. And you're like, I can't move. How am I supposed to relax right now? Oh man. But, um, no, I, I mean, it was, it was definitely quite the experience. That's for sure. And I'm just like, can we just put more castor oil on my belly? Cause that was easy Seriously. and comfortable and not as expensive. And I mean, another, how much did we pay for that visit? Our insurance uh, didn't cover it. This is another thing too. Is that man? I,
1: I have to call the insurance um, and pray they, they didn't cover. Yeah, it. they may cover some of it. I'm pretty least.
2: sure it was two seventy five.
1: Yes. Uh, no. Yeah, I think it was two seventy five because it was like that they also consider the introduction, yeah. as a fee or something like that. Yeah, but, two hundred and seventy five dollars. I mean, yeah, for five sessions or something. I think it was around five or six hundred bucks. No, it's way better. It wasn't as expensive as I thought.
2: They gave a discount maybe for bulk sessions. I don't know. But then you
1: got to buy herbs and stuff. And yeah.
2: Uh, Like if our insurance doesn't cover it. And so this is the thing about fertility and all that. And and the doctor did say he was like, well, it's cheaper than IVF. And I was like, yeah, you do have a point there. That is a very good point. Uh, IVF is so expensive and not guaranteed to work.
1: So. Anyways, I called, well, so, so I called two chiropractors because that was another thing that was on our list for fertility, two chiropractors. And they both told me, uh, well, one doesn't feel comfortable or hasn't done, uh, chiropractic work for specifically for fertility. And the other place even said, um, you have to have a prior condition you have to either be hurt yeah. or referred. This
2: is all like insurance stuff. And this and is like, if it you're not. didn't
1: make sense though, because like I thought anybody can go to a chiropractor to get a little adjustment. If it,
2: you want to pay top dollar, anybody can go for sure. But, but I they, was
1: almost like, well, maybe I should just say you're hurt. Like maybe I should just say you have a pelvic issue.
2: <laughs> well, no, we don't want to lie. But um, that's the thing I think with American healthcare that's kind of like just a yeah. little sad is that. Man, it's like, if you want to pay thousands of dollars, sure, you can see a doctor. But if your insurance doesn't cover it, you know... Like that's your only other option.
1: Um, we do have a, a brand new five-star review that I want to give a shout out to because it actually gives a great segue into what we wanted to talk about today. Um, and then I'm going to also introduce our guest, which I had an amazing conversation with.
2: Yeah, I was so bummed. I wasn't able to be here for the interview. I had to be with the kids at school, so I wasn't yeah. here for the interview. And but I mean, I've heard... It was such a great interview. That's what Doug said.
1: It was, you know, this this woman, Jillian uh, Pothier, she's a psychologist. Um, she's an advocate for femininity and feminism and right archetypes. Up my alley. And, um, she follows uh, Jungian psychology and Jungian archetypes. And she talks about how, I mean, she, she went through a few different relationships and, and ups and downs. Sorry. And she just, she really talks about um, the relationship between masculinity and femininity. So interesting. And how we can how we can interact together and feel more sexual and vibrant with each other and it was really it was interesting that is interesting that it was is... a lot of words i've never said before and a lot of words <laughs> i've never
2: heard before these smart psychologists i had to, to ask
1: her if, uh, the proper pronunciation of some of the words before we started the interview so i can't amazing. wait
2: to hear the yeah. whole
1: thing <laughs> um but this uh this five-star review comes from lorette one who has i, I feel like she, i recognize that name i think she's gave us a five-star review before but it says i would really enjoy you start talking about and recapping the episodes of Married at first sight jamie i will be praying for you to have a successful month and it has two baby bottles i think there should be one baby bottle ah. but loretta i uh, appreciate that
2: loretta i like where your head's at i mean sending
1: a little Little uh, baby dust, I think.
2: I I think she's sending a lot, like double double the baby baby dust. Yeah. I like just keep praying that I have twins. <laughs> I just really do. I don't have twins in my family. I do. My sister and my brother are twins. I have aunts who are twins, and I have a redheaded boy. And you don't really have redheads in your. I mean, you must have one somewhere. But
1: I think it was my grandma. My Seems like
2: my, my genetics run strong since our son is a vibrant redhead and since my he's siblings. not a
1: vibrant redhead. Like he's, he's got strawberry blonde hair.
2: I would say he's a vibrant redhead. I, if you That's were a not vibrant, strawberry blonde.
1: If you were a vibrant redhead, you would have freckles He everywhere. has freckles on he his nose. He does not have he's freckles crazy. everywhere. Think of like Kobe. But he's
2: way. My niece and nephew. They both have vibrant red hair and, and they have freckles are everywhere. Filled with freckles, but Hendrix they weren't filled with freckles. They weren't when they were Hendrix's
1: age. Uh, well. Hendricks may get uh, beauty marks like I have all over my face Oh my face gosh, this back. is the
2: funniest story. Side note for just one second. <laughs> Yesterday, so Doug has a, a big mole right behind his ear. I mean, yeah. he's got moles, a lot of moles, as you know. They're beauty marks. And this is the funniest thing I have to tell you. So Hendrix noticed one of his moles behind his ear. He and genuinely he,
1: seemed concerned.
2: Yeah, he was really concerned. Like, he like looked that? at it. And he looked at my face. And he said, "Mommy," and he like went to touch <laughs> it, like it was like poisonous or something. Like he was like yeah. just carefully going to touch it. And he goes, "What is that?" And I go, "That's Daddy's mole." And Doug yeah. goes, and
1: Hendricks goes mo? Yeah,
2: Doug doesn't skip a beat, and he goes, it's my beauty, Mark. You're gonna have him too, kid. <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay, Douglas. Uh, but anyways, so yes, Loretta, uh, we will absolutely start recapping Married at First Sight. Honestly, I couldn't wait to start recapping the show, because this season is so good. So right off the start- This I, is a
1: special, special season.
2: Yeah, it really is. So right off the start, I just have to talk about Emily and Brennan, because Emily, so this girl, Emily, and this is going to be a quick a quick recap real fast, yes. and it, let us know if you want to hear more, definitely. It, as of right now,
1: they're on uh, episode eight.
2: Yeah, and so we're going to give a quick recap because we also have our guests coming on, but Emily, if you're watching, this woman has never been in a relationship. She's never been in a long-term relationship, and she was married at first sight. True leap of faith. I mean, dog. <laughs> True leap of faith. Um, but no, seriously, so she was considered like a party girl and I was like just watching her bachelorette. I mean the girl's just like downing shot after shot, and I was
1: like oh and boy. hitting on the, the stripper. I don't like, like hitting oh, that's a well, little far fetched. She she had a good time with this she stripper.
2: had a good time is a great way to say it. I don't think she was hitting on the stripper. Yeah. But um <laughs> Douglas. But she's just a party girl and she was just having a good time. She's considered the life of the party with like her friends and I think her friends were not shy to say, I don't know if you're really ready for this, like, are you sure you're ready for marriage you haven't yeah. even been in a real relationship and she just was like no i'm gonna you know i'm gonna get this i'm gonna get married and honestly this is my thing and it's gonna lead us into our next couple but this is my thing about some of the couples on married at first sight is that one person like dives in wholeheartedly keeps an open mind is willing to do the homework that the experts give them and then the other person is like mm, i don't know and like the
1: first couple red flags they're out and you know what i've noticed the last couple seasons though I've, I've never, I, I genuinely don't know what it is. And it's, it's really like, I'm confused about it because I've never heard so many couples or so many people, men specifically that say, I want to be attracted to this person or the attractions not there or the romance isn't there. Like it just, it's really strange because when you're going, like if you're going in truly for a marriage, you're going to want to be open and and look for things that you're attracted to. It's exactly and not it. focus on everything Just that she's appearance. not. Yes, or he's not. Oh, that's so true, Doug. And you know, like there's 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 a lack of grace. There's a lack of commitment. And when you go into being married, that is a lifetime thing. You you expect it to be a lifetime thing. It doesn't always work out that way. But when you go into some some experiment where, you know, the basis of the show, you know, it's been on for however, however nine and a half years, whatever. Um, to not be open right away is doing both of you a disservice.
2: Yeah. And so on that note, Emily tends to be just to wrap up that recap with Emily and Brennan, her husband, she is like surprisingly very open, very committed, very, I feel like I don't know, like a whole, like not a party girl. I mean, I guess she does like tequila, and she like shocked. I shots, questioned
1: her motives in the but beginning, man, but she shocked she me. She
2: is really there for like the right reasons, and she's really cute and sweet to watch. Yeah, she's and, mature, driven. Yeah, she, she
1: has the absolute best faces when Brennan is talking oh my gosh one of the experts or he's saying anything her face yeah her face gives her away yeah
2: but and then leading into that is Lauren and Orion so this is another couple and I am like oh they are very difficult to watch because when we're talking about people like what I was saying earlier about how it, it seems like married at first sight always has not always, but like there seems to be many times when there's one person who's that, who's committed and open-minded and willing to do the work. And then the other person that's like, eh, yeah, I thought I wanted this, but maybe not. And then, you know, then they want it, then they don't. And yeah. and
1: that is exactly what I feel like Lauren in Orion is. So Orion is someone that is trying to string her along. Why do you it, say that? Because, you know, like like they have this big blow up and then they yeah. get together and then they have this big blow up. And then he tries to say, well, maybe we should do a reset, you know, like, or this is how I was feeling. And then the next time they speak and that we, you know what happened um, this past episode, um, he's speaking with Dr. Pia. Um, and he just says that this is something that he's not going to be able to get past. He's not going to be able to forgive. Well, let's and back he it wants up a
2: divorce and like share in case you haven't watched Married at first sight. So Lauren is black and Orion is native American and back on their honeymoon. So like they're just coming out of their honeymoon now and on their honeymoon. I mean, they were like, they hit it off. They really hit it off. And And, they
1: bonded over their ethnicity.
2: Yeah. They bonded over being minorities and they just are very much, alike in who it seems like anyways, like from outside, I could see why they're matched. That the is maturity, for sure. The They seem like types, emotionally yeah. intelligent and very respectful and kind, but also fun and just like emotionally mature. And so something happens on the, on the honeymoon where they're in a hot tub and, or a pool, something of that, like they're in water. And uh, yeah, we're Orion about said that he, yeah. yeah, they're talking about stereotypes and Orion said that he used the N word in the past. And she's like, "Can I punch you for my ancestors? And he was like, yeah, you know, I guess that's fair or whatever. And so then yeah. she did. It was all just like lighthearted and super fun, but it turned real quick because something about red skin was said. And yeah. Lauren didn't realize that that was derogatory towards native Americans. And so she was just kind of like, Oh, I saw your face. Cause I guess his face mm. changed. And then he became so offended by this. I mean, just absolutely beyond beyond offended by this. And she was just kind of sitting there like so confused. Like I thought we were, you know, hitting it off. I thought we were kind of educating each other about our minority, like our cultures. And like, she just couldn't, she couldn't get back. It's like, she offended him so like so badly. And she's crying and she's apologizing and she's trying to give him space if he wants that, but But also also show that she's still there Yeah, literally doing all like, handled that far
1: better than I feel like I ever could have. I mean, she was so emotionally mature about it. And s- kept on, like, she stayed with it too, though. Like, she she took ownership of it. Yeah, she was also never like... was just like, I am willing to move past this. Like, I made a mistake. Let's see how we can get past it. And she really wanted to move past it. And I think yeah. she would have got, like, just left it as something that was in their past. Yeah, but um, Orion just... Felt so strongly about it. And that, yeah, but that's also the thing that frustrates me. It, you know, you get into a process like this and you know, the whole slut shaming thing that he brought on her, like she didn't well, know she was going to be married.
2: That's a whole other thing. So wait, yeah. let's back it up. So then they're having dinner before they go to leave and they're trying to get past, you know, this like derogatory comment that she didn't even realize she was making, but he took very personally. So she, she took, a, you know, she took accountability and apologized and, then they're having dinner and they seem to be kind of getting past it and she they're talking again just like really they talk very maturely like they're never yelling and screaming at each other but essentially the question came up like when did you have sex last and Lauren had had sex I think two weeks or two months yeah, two, two, two weeks two weeks prior to getting knowing um, she to knowing she, was, to gonna knowing she was gonna be married at first sight and he, through she, romance, romance yeah, is off the he table. She literally for me. goes, "That takes sex off the table for me," and was like, like offended is, by that. What does that
1: mean, dude? Yeah, like, really. What does that like, mean?
2: Why she didn't know she was going to get married? And he goes, "Well, because you're going through the process longer, so there's a chance that you could get married." And it's like. First of all, sex means all sorts of different things, you know? Like, it's not like she's in love with somebody. It's not like she said, I'm in love with someone. I'm in this long-term relationship, and then I just called it off, like, two weeks before. And, you know, the woman is clearly committed. She really is, and so... she wants it to work. Yeah. She's
1: in it for the right reasons.
2: So, anyways, they're a very interesting couple to watch and just see. And also, I feel like it's, like... I I feel like if there is anybody who doesn't understand derogatory terms or some sort of like some minority cultures this season is really kind of educating and eye-opening and I think that that's really beautiful and helpful for all of us you know to just yeah. learn about these different cultures and how that could be really hurtful and sensitive to
1: other people. But also like but Lauren Lauren did everything above and beyond. She there was no amount of time she could apologize, you know, whether she was going to go live with a Native yeah. American tribe and learn their, like, she would, she would, she would have been willing to do all those things. Oh, she
2: would have, she does seem like, she, I mean, there, maybe there's still hope too, like.
1: No, there's no hope. I think there's definitely that hope. That is not, but may, if I, I was Lauren, I I think Lauren Honestly, gave Orion like 10 chances. Yeah, when I When she didn't have to. No, that's and, very and true. And he still put her on blast for. The sex thing and then for the minority. The comment. minority thing and he couldn't move past it, which is so unfair. But it's also so, so strange.
2: It's like why? Like so well, it's I mean he... he has
1: every right to be offended. Yeah, no, totally. But, Absolutely. But to but to you this person is someone that you haven't lived with. You don't know who they are, you don't know them emotionally, you don't know them and how they think. You don't know their intentions. But you're just going to assume the worst. Which is so interesting
2: because you can just, she just doesn't give off any bad vibes. So like if you were just around her and you're just feeling her vibes, you wouldn't assume the worst with her. She doesn't seem that way at
1: all. And what if, what if after he said that he has used the N word?
2: Oh yeah, I know. Like what if
1: she said, that's it for me? I'm done. Yeah. Because she is a black woman. So I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's frustrating. It, but the, that is frustrating. You know, what? They, you know, I don't, I don't think they're meant to be.
2: Um, I don't know. But Cameron and Claire, first of all, Cameron's accent, I mean, a guy with an accent is very sexy, Doug. Yeah.
1: It is, it is what it is. But for someone to give his wife on their wedding day a stuffed animal yeah. right before their wedding is a little awkward. Well, I think he's, a weird. he's
2: trying to say that he's from overseas with that stuffed
1: animal. Yeah, but there's other that ways is, that is to a, say that. Yeah,
2: that, that is mean, really. I you mean, know, everybody gives
1: <laughs> something personal. I mean, it almost looked used. No, it didn't. <laughs> it was just a big stuffy. Like, I don't think it's setting the tone, though. Like, if, you were to, if you would have gotten a stuffed animal from me, what would you have thought?
2: I would have been like, hmm, who,
1: who <laughs> like is this? What yeah. is going on right now? How old now? is this person? Yeah, but that's I not mean, fair. I still he's ag- a nice I still guy. Act like I'm ten, but you know, I, I wouldn't have gotten you know, a stuffed animal. <laughs> that's so
2: funny. Well, and I feel like he redeemed himself. So he ends up. Oh. So this guy, Cameron, he's from overseas. No one from his family lives in America or is at his wedding. So his wife gets to know like his friends, and he actually has some. Like I, I'm like, wow, you have a really great group of friends, but um, they are on their honeymoon, of course, with everybody. And Cameron, I think he went like snorkeling or scuba diving or something and hurt his ear. And so he like couldn't, I mean, it was really, really bothering him. So he ends up going to the hospital. And so, I think it's their last day or something. And he's gone basically the whole time. And everyone's like, Oh, where's Cameron? Where's Cameron? And Claire's like, Oh, he's at the hospital. Yeah. I hope he's doing okay. Or he could just have left because he's over this whole married at first sight thing. But then when he comes back, he brought like a ginormous bouquet of flowers. And you could really tell that that touched Claire. Like you could yeah. really tell that that. Cause she wasn't into him.
1: in the Yeah. Beginning. She, she was a little bit. She was a little. Well, bit, she got the
2: stuffy. And she was like, yeah. She
1: was a little bit standoffish and maybe not giving him a chance. Yeah, like, but it does seem like she's turning.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, big brownie points to Cameron because when he brought those flowers, I mean, it was it was really a, such a romantic moment. They were like at dinner on the beach or something with all the other couples, and he
1: comes in with a bouquet of flowers, and
2: it was it was really sweet to
1: watch. Yeah, but there's there's such a lack of touching. There's such no, like, that's true. With a lot of the couples, except for you know, one. But let's really.
2: Well, I was gonna say at this point of our marriage, on our honeymoon, I was like all over you. But that's not the case for everybody, and that's okay. Yeah, but that's so. what I'm
1: talking about. Getting back to the romantic connection, is there's no effort. There's no effort to put an arm around, to try to hold a hand. Well,
2: I feel like Cameron is getting like friend vibes from Claire. Yeah, I and think he, so too. And he doesn't want to be. Who wants to be rejected? No one wants to be rejected. But I think Claire might be feeling like he's not into her. And I'm just like, that is just like also another classic case of married at first sight.
1: Yeah, no, I just hope it doesn't get to the point where then she really gets into him and because of the beginning part, he's friend zoning her. I always thought
2: that was going to happen with us. I was really scared of that because obviously on our wedding day, I wasn't certain about anything. And then when I started to really like fall for you, I was like, oh no, this feels really vulnerable because what if he is over me and just doesn't want to, because like, you know, and so worked out for us. So Claire and Cameron, I think there's a lot of hope for them. I really do. I think that'll be a couple to watch. really cute. And she's beautiful. I think she's very, very beautiful. And she is good looking. He's handsome. So they're a cute couple. And then Becca and Austin. Let me tell you, this couple is so cute and so sweet that like your stomach goes sick. <laughs> I, they're just
1: so cute. And sweet. I am going to raise my hand and say that I don't see them making it.
2: How on earth can you say that?
1: I do because just the history what are you talking Merida about? Married at first sight, two people that are so into each other on day one that are lovey dovey, kissy, everything like that, um, tend to not work out.
2: Uh Ashley and Anthony, who have two beautiful girls, yeah. are still together and they were lovey dovey and kissy the whole time.
1: Uh from day one.
2: Yes. They were. Okay.
1: Well then then I'm wrong. Yeah. There you go. Case I just, in point. <laughs> well, I, I think I just see them as because you know, like they there was I think it was a couple episodes like religion came up and Or even
2: like, Bobby and Danielle. Yeah, they them too. have been like as Danielle will say, a ten. Ten out of ten. They're so happy.
1: Yeah. But <laughs> I, I th- and they're still I, together. I think that they're at a spot where they just want to ride that wave. And then once they're once they make it back to Denver I think it's just going to be a whole different story. I
2: don't agree. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't agree at all. And I don't know. I
1: just the way that the way that he avoids converse like certain types of conversations where that he's is just true. like yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah well so I I don't know I just
2: they're I, for sure yeah. if you're just catching up on this they're for sure the most quote unquote in love you know not, they're not that so they're say- cute together though they're not claiming they're in love or anything no. but like. They seem really, really into each other yeah. and never have had, had an argument. They seem really on the same page, super respectful and kind to each other and just they are all over each other with their PDA. So I don't know. I really feel like they're going to be just fine. Okay. And then who are we missing? Are we missing one? No, that's everybody. No, because oh, because one, oh, stood that's up. right. Michael got stood up at the altar. Man, if you haven't watched the season yet, go back. It's on the Lifetime app. You can watch it for free and just this is a good season to watch it really is it's like full of twists and turns because for the first time a wife got cold feet and was like their runaway bride and so then the husband so that has would have been husband michael he's just standing at the altar all by himself and it's really so sad but yes. um it's just like this season really gets you in your feels all over the place but i feel like without further ado we should get our guests on
1: all right yeah so let's bring on jillian yeah so we are excited today to welcome Jillian Pothier to Hot Marriage, Cool Parents. And if you're like many modern daters, modern romance probably feels more like an emotional roller coaster. Well, Jillian is no stranger to the difficulties of today's dating pool. As a young woman trying to find herself and a lifelong partner, she experienced nothing but heartbreak for many years. As a result, she learned the hard way what it takes to resurrect a dull and flatline marriage. Turning it into one where erotic sex, joy, and love reign supreme. Through her writing, teaching, and feminine mentorship, she helps women repair and co create fulfilling lifelong bonds with the men or partner in their life. Jillian has a master's in psychology, and her work centers on what becomes possible when we understand masculine and feminine nature and co creation through the lens of psychology, beauty, fairy tale. And Jungian archetypes. So, thank you so much for, for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for
1: having me. I'm delighted to be here. Awesome. And um, I do want to admit this is the very first time that I've ever used the phrase Jungian archetypes, um, which seems to come up a bunch in, in your teachings. And you know, when referring to Jungian psychology, um, from what I was researching, it seems to almost suggest that it's an original pattern of thought or, or sort of unconscious idea. Uh, that is usually uh, universally present in individual psyche. So maybe if you can help me understand what that is and how it may apply to femininity and masculinity.
0: Yeah, such a powerful question, thank you. So essentially, it's exactly as you said, like there are these existing patterns of energy or almost like characters, like energy that forms characters that exist in myth and in fairy tale and in film and in books and so when we begin to recognize these patterns that move through our own kind of psyches individually and in the collective it gives us a frame to actually understand our own behavior our own desires our own shadows that the parts of ourselves that we can't see through these i mean through these characters essentially so a classic one that um, that I work with in relationship in my work with women is you know kind of like the Peter Pan psychology that we can see sometimes in men where it's like
1: you lose men, your shadow, Say where you lose your shadow.
0: Not <laughs> yes, yes, where you lose your shadow. That's it exactly. But also where and and I'm you know this exists in a different way inside of women. I'm just pointing to a very common one that exists inside of men where some men in our culture have trouble kind of really growing up, really receiving the initiations of the masculine. So even though they're grown men, sometimes they stay in a little bit of an underdeveloped or uninitiated kind of presentation where we say, oh, like a little bit of a kind of a Peter Pan type. And for women, we have that too. Like we have that aspect of ourselves. Or we will have, for example, Ice Queen or these different, you know, Dark Mother, these different qualities that help us understand ourselves better by seeing those qualities in characters, in archetypes, so that we can have a more forgiving and understanding relationship with our own selves.
1: That's really interesting because it, it, and we have... We have a daughter who's six years old and a son who's three years old. And, you know, just so innocent and fresh to the world. It's interesting that you you mentioned that because they sort of relate and familiarize themselves with certain characters that they see on TV and will mimic certain characters over others. So it is sort of just something that I guess is in our our nature almost from, from a young age. Yeah, i
0: think that the human psyche loves story i think this is one of the most ancient like qualities or templates that all human beings love you know we're seeing this right now in the massive like revival of barbie like that's another great example of the way that dolls and or in this case a film constructed around the phenomenology of barbie it's like it's a way that that all of these qualities of the feminine and masculine and Ken are projected, so that we can be like we can see these shadows and kind of beautiful qualities of ourselves through other inside of a story that makes us understand self more deeply. So I think that that's like a very intrinsic. It's almost like food for the for the mind, food for the sake, like, it's ancient, and that's why we have myth and mythology and fairy tales, like, from way back in the day, that still circulate through cultural, you know, through culture and through society, because it carries so much meaning for men and women so that we can individually understand ourselves better and how it is that we're choosing to relate to, you know, quote-unquote, the opposite sex, like, between... (laughs)
1: you do you feel that um everyone has a masculine side and a feminine side
0: this is such a great question so in the lineage of psychotherapy that i studied for many years which is in the lineage exactly as you said of Jung carl Jung, it's um he very much believes that there is a a masculine aspect to the feminine psyche and a feminine aspect to the masculine psyche so said differently the human psyche contains within it aspects of both. Certainly as a woman, I often see, and I think it's, you know, for me, I'll speak for, like, way saturated in feminine aspects. But I certainly have a yang, yang, or masculine aspect within that helps me kind of create in the topside world. It's the same thing in my lineage and lens for men, that they have a feminine aspect that helps them connect more deeply to their feelings, to, you know, the felt sense, emotionality, to their related, their caring about those that they love. So I think that we absolutely contain at the level of the psyche, so at the level of our kind of constitution, at, you know, psychic constitution, the opposite. And gotcha. you know, we talk about the anima, that's the feminine aspect of a man's soul, and the animus, which is the masculine aspect of a man's soul. Soul and psyche, back in the day, meaning the same
1: thing. Very interesting. And so, um, what what do you feel that women are struggling with most today in terms of their relationship with men, or I guess what do you kind of see contributing to so many women feeling unfulfilled in their romantic relationships
0: such a deep one right so a big part of my work the entire constellation of my work is around bringing women through journeys of what i call spiritual repair with men and the masculine so so many women in our culture so many have either inherited meaning ancestral that was much more a little bit of kind of my case or actual distortion and or trauma around men in the masculine i actually have met le- like so few women like i could count them on one hand who actually feel like they are free and have you know of that kind of scar tissue in some ways so while that's true I feel like women suffer deeply from the lost art of truly respecting men and the masculine, beginning at the home, beginning in the home with their fathers um, and grandfathers. And so a huge thrust of my work is really slowly and gently illuminating to women how profoundly disrespectful they have come, become with no judgment or shame. I understand the cycle, the circuitry, and why that occurs, but the issue is, and this is a tough one for the feminine ego, is that disrespecting men is like physiologically painful to women when they can truly feel it. When they can get outside and beyond the armoring and the defense mechanisms and they can truly feel you know, their heart and their body, absolutely women come to this place of, oh my gosh, in those behaviors, which I can understand in myself, of this, this, this disrespect, both overt, you know, the eye roll, the classic, like, eye roll, all the way down to these subtle ways that we mother men and we caretake men, all of that which just literally silently says to him, I don't think you've got this. So I'm going to kind of climb in here, make it look good, but like handle or take care of these, you know, whatever it may be in life, because I don't trust that you've got this. And I think that silent behavior of women, and again, I can understand why women have arrived at this place, but we have to interrupt this cycle that we are perpetuating because truly once women can kind of begin to un numb for lack of a better term and feel themselves, feel their body, feel their heart, they will recognize that this posture that they've held with men is is actually injured it's like one of my deepest teachings and this is a doozy is like disrespecting the masculine is self, Harm for women. It is painful when we can truly unwind that. So I would say that 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 particular, like, energetic or quality is one of the deepest ways that women are struggling and suffering in their relationships with men. And, you know, men have to be responsible in the collective for championing the qualities that instinctively cause a woman to respect him. So we're, again, in one of these kind of...
1: Big loops, yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think it's really tough to define what masculine is. And, I you know, for, for me, I kind of see what masculine is, how much it changes over time. And, you know, back in the day you were a caveman and, and you just grabbed a woman and maybe that's how it was for then. Um, you know, if you were overweight and were able to get food, like that was a real man. Um, you know, before, you know, when you go back to where women didn't necessarily have a ton of rights or, you know, it wasn't seen in the workplace, they weren't breadwinners. They weren't, you know, the, the head of the house, um you know, a lot of those factors, I think, go into masculine. And for, for me, um, you know, I, I, I like to think that I've always been myself and, and trying to stay open. But it's been, it's a struggle for me to open up and be vulnerable and have a deep conversation all the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting better at it because I am working on it. Um, you know, but just that that side of me always didn't feel masculine. And I think sometimes maybe men struggle with what they feel masculine is, and maybe what the interpretation from women on what masculine is. So based on, on your research and, um, and people that you've, you've spoken with, is there a common denominator on what masculine means to women?
0: Okay. Yeah. So, and I love your reflections about your own lived experience, that feels great. And I really, I think that this journey for men, you know, coming to true nature, like whatever this means for man and whatever this means for woman, it requires so much deconditioning, like deconditioning of all this societal and cultural kind of overlays of what, what is a real man, what is, you know, all of these things having said that on the keeping that there because i mm-hmm. think that's important i teach and hold a lens that the two primary functions of a of the masculine so not just men but the masculine are to provide and protect so i think it's interesting because we can look at this as you did like back in the day with the caveman then the man who could you know go get food and then all these different things if we strip away the behavior, if we strip away what it looks like, that the reflex, the instinct is still the same in, in, as it, through evolution. Sure. Which is to go out there and, you know, to hunt, to provide, to to create a dome of provision and protection for the feminine. When I say the feminine, I certainly don't just mean women, children the elderly, animals, you know, in qualities of our world. And so I think that those two reflexes, and, and that exists not just like in our, kind of meat and potatoes world, but even spiritually, I think all the way up and down, kind of, it. those are, I would define that. I, I hold that lens, that to provide and to protect for the feminine, which is not just women, Children, animals, the elderly, that that is one of the kind of noble truths about the
1: masculine. Sure. And, you know, when when we talk about the nature of human beings, and this could apply to men and women, um, I know a lot of women and friends that they'll always say, you know, I only attract crazy men or i only attract crazy women or abusive men or abusive women um is is this what you're referring to about the the psyche and feminine nature and uh is it more getting in tune with yourself before you can accept a masculine or i don't know if that makes sense or not
0: yeah it really does so this one is not good news this one is is not good news to our our ego let's say or our sense of identity sure water will always seek its own level so i have many women who are like jimmy you don't understand i only attract emotionally unavailable, you know, the narcissistic, the the du jour, the the, the criticism du jour of men, you know, that they're emotionally unavailable and narcissists, and toxic masculinity, which there's no such thing, but I'll talk about that in a minute. So, and she can go through this whole story, and she presents lots of evidence, and while my heart hurts for the pain that she has endured, I'm like, you have to look at the way that he is a mirror. Our partners are mirrors. And this is so tricky. Even if we say we don't want it, even if we're like, I do not want to date or be involved with another emotionally unavailable man. It's terrible. And then we go out and we create another relationship where we magnetize or attract another relationship with a quote unquote emotionally available man. <laughs> I have to look at her and say, What part of you is emotionally unavailable? What part of you is being served by this experience that I totally understand this other part of you does not want, like for real. I can really meet that part of you and understand that. But there is a driver in you. There is something in you that is chronically creating the same experience. And what this tells me is that there is part of you That is emotionally unavailable because a quote-unquote emotionally unavailable distant man you can't create intimacy with him and if you can't create intimacy with him it's like it's because the intimacy with yourself is missing so i very much look at and there's going to be exceptions for example women who who endured abuse when they were young like little little girls It's like a, it's like the opposite of a pearl, like their whole system and psyche grows around an injury that, and so there's, there's, I hold this with so much grace, so everything I'm saying, there's tenderness in this, but there's also a reality that whatever happens to us, I'm never going to say to a woman like, oh, that's your fault, I will not say that but we have to be responsible for what lives in our system that's generating behavior and experiences
1: that we don't want. Sure. Yeah, and you know, it it's funny reflecting on um our marriage and, and Jamie and I we've we've gone to couples counseling and and marriage therapy. Um you know, and there is uh, you know when when you talk about something like emotionally unavailable or you know, if somebody isn't this or you're not opening it up. You know, what we learned in therapy is when when you sort of, when you define what it is that you're looking for, so emotionally unavailable or an emotionally available man, define what that is, you know, simplify it, define what that is or what it means to you, and then you can accept it or relay that to your partner. Because for, for us, you know, when you first get married or even in a relationship, you're never going to be the same person that that was there that you both met. You're never going to get back to that. And it's, you know, it's that expectation, you know, that may put it, uh, uh, or sort of hinder the relationship. And, you know, what, what I've learned through this therapy is, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of unspoken expectations that take place, you know, and, and once you start to communicate these things, you know, everything sort of, falls into place almost. And, and you kind of feel centered. And, you know, if, if you're not getting something from this person, say it and see if you can work on it. And, and I'm, so it's just, that's just my point of view from, from kind of like hearing what you're saying. And cause there, there is this whole law of attraction. I, I'm, I fully believe that there's an energy people put out and because, if you've looked at the relationships you've had, when whether it's a guy or a girl, there's some women that it's just so easy to talk to them, and you get along so well, and there could be somebody else that you just don't jive with, and it's just this, there's just something about the person, whether it's a pheromone or, or some musk that's coming off of them, but I, I genuinely feel there's something that attracts people together, and you, you attract something that is similar to you, like you said, a mirror.
0: I do believe that, and and ultimately, I think even even the tough ones. It's like if we can really have the faith that we are divinely guided to each other on some level to serve each other's path, to serve each other's journey, um, and hold our experiences with grace rather than you know condemnation or bitterness. It's like, and that's a big journey too for so many of us to really come to a place where we can look at our lives and feel the peace or to be able to look at it through kind of divine eyes and recognize on some level there was a rightness to my path, even the places that consciously, of course, like, do I wish that never happened? On some level, yes. On another level, can I recognize, you know, the way it has contributed to my growth or my awakening or my fate? hmm
1: for sure. And you know, when you're, I, when I was looking uh, on your website, you mentioned that your fiance Max is your greatest teacher of feminine awakening. Um, so first, what is feminine awakening and is there also a masculine awakening?
0: Such a great question. Um, yes. So I, I'm sure that there is profound masculine awakening, I am careful to speak on the masculine experience because I, I don't know it as a woman. Sure. But if we look again through an archetypal lens of the famous, you know, hero's journey, where the man, you know, he has three phases, he has to separate, like ha- go out into the adventure and have the initiation and then return. So like for example, like I'm like proverbially, kind of archetypally, like a man leaves the home, he leaves the kingdom. He goes out into the dark night and he has to slay the dragon and once he slays the dragon then he returns kind of with the, you know, the blood of the dragon dripping down his hands to the same gate that he left, the same gate of like home or the kingdom that he left. Those are initiations. Those are, and what defines initiation is like there's a before state and there's an after state getting married, as you said, you are never the same, having a child, you are never the same, (laughs) as you were, you went through an initiation, there was before Doug and after Doug, that type of, you know, moment, so I think that this occurs over and over and over again in in a man's life, where he has to kind of go out into the dark forest, he has to feel his fear, and he has to conquer, Mm -hmm. defeat, kill, you know, symbolically, Mm -hmm. the... The monster within, perhaps, the shadow, the monster within, or that's, you know, putting his his family or his tribe or his kingdom, you know, at risk. And so I think I can speak archetypally to that. That is a journey of mass. Yeah,
1: that, that makes sense.
0: They learn to know their, who they are as men.
1: Yes.
0: So I believe, on the flip side of this, I believe deeply that for a woman, and this is gonna get, okay, okay. Like for a woman to be great in her feminine, as a woman, this is gonna mean a, a million different things to how a woman hears this, by the way. That one of the ways a woman becomes great is by having a great husband, fiance, boyfriend, partner, whoever that is for her that calls her forward into her excellence, not just as a human, not just as a person, but as a woman, as a woman. And so I have been distinctly, epically blessed in my life by my partner, Max, who, who has taught me and called me forth, over and over again into deepening into my feminine, into truly living from a place that's very different inside of me that where I lived before. A place that is very different from the way many, you know, masculinized women, I could say, who, who live. And it's, it's a descent for the woman. Like for, you know, I used to kind of climb out into my intellect and my thinking function as a way of orienting to the world because that's what's rewarded, you know, academics and metrics of success and money and all of these things. Mm-hmm. And so that was a part of my life. And then slowly, slowly, both of my own journey and my faith and then my relationship with Max, it's like, I feel like I call it the descent where the heroine's journey isn't out into the forest to, to kill the, to
1: Lay the dragon, right?
0: The heroine's journey is like down and in so that we can feel ourselves, so that we can offer this kind of quality of felt sense, of feeling, of non judgment. This doesn't mean don't be discerning. I don't sure. want to imply that for a second. And into our eros, into our sensual nature this doesn't mean sexy it doesn't mean that we're performing our sexiness like instagram we see this a lot like women performing their sexiness but that we come home to our essence as feminine beings as women that we can listen to the wisdom and this is going to sound maybe a little woo but like listen to the wisdom of our wombs as much as all the top-down, didactic, everything that we've been taught in our, it's like, hey, wait a second, I hear all of this. I'm gonna actually slow down and feel what's true for me and offer that to my husband, offer that truth, offer that, it's kind of like the oracle, you know, It's, it's a, and it's part of every woman. It's just that we get so scattered out into the world and go, go, go that we lose this part of ourselves. But
1: when a man comes along and he's like,
0: I want that part of you, that part of you makes me be a great man. That makes total sense. You're, yeah. What What do you hear, Doug? Like how, how does this make sense
1: for you? So I'm just thinking for, for um, a woman that's listening to this right now that may say, I don't feel that. I've been married for so long and I don't, feel that um one how would a woman recognize that or what are the signs or what 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 do men do to kind of get to that place or what should they be looking for communicating
0: so this goes back to what i was saying a little bit ago women have to learn to respect men they have to learn not express It's going to look like it's for him. It's going to look like it's for her father, her baby daddy, her husband. The deeper thing is, it's for her. So a huge part of what I teach is like the goodness of maleness. Just of straight up maleness. Not the masculine. Like Alison Armstrong. I don't know if you know her as a teacher.
1: Not familiar.
0: She's a great teacher. And she has something that she says that's funny. It's funny, but there's a deep truth in it. She was like, Men are not just hairy, large, like stinky women. <laughs> like, and it's great, we laugh. Sure. But let me tell you the massive truth that that contains because women, unconsciously, we've wanted men to be like our girlfriends. We want them to meet those needs in us. And I'm like, Oh, let me tell you, uh, that is a, that is a, a you're hurting yourself by trying to get that from a man. So when we can reorganize ourselves to like fall in love with maleness, to see the goodness and the rightness of of, of the of male, I don't know a better way of saying this. And if we can get right with that with ourselves, oh, he is not like me. <laughs> and if we can come to appreciate and celebrate the very big difference between men and women. I think it's a profound difference. And to recognize that with celebration, to recognize that with honor, and if we start to bring that into our relationship of 30 years with our husband and start to look at him with new eyes, and I see this in our women who've been married for 30 years tumbling back into love with their husbands, who was like practically invisible in her house, you know, in her house. Right, right. And now all of a sudden she's like, not all of a sudden, not, this is a journey. She's like, oh my God, what a man. I was so blessed that I made the choice to marry this man at 24 years old when I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Because what a man. Look at what he's done to create this life for me and my children. And she begins to break out of the unconscious I'm going to say the thing, entitlement, arrogance, and really look at her husband with new eyes, that rekindles marriages like nobody's business. It's like she actually descends out of ego, entitlement, story, resentment, and comes into recognizing his greatness alongside his flawed, imperfect, mortal, he's figuring it out too. And so that is one of the most stunning results of this path of quote unquote feminine awakening. Feminine awakening includes, it must include, there's no getting past go of feminine awakening without coming into deep repair with men in the masculine, beginning with your father and going all the way up to God. Like, you, we have to reorient, reorganize our understanding of these incredible beings to see the goodness, not just for them. Again, it'll look right. like it's for them. For ourselves, because it feels amazing when we can get past our resistance.
1: And I, you know, as a... As a man, um, I tell you that would—I mean—that in internally, when you say that, that that would open my eyes a little bit more, um, and like, what, what, what would your eyes like it, you know, just that that recognition. Because I, I think sometimes you get caught into competing with each other. There's like there's this, you know, I'm doing this, you're doing that. I did this more, I did that more, and, and I think. You know, when it when it comes down to just recognizing just the person instead of quantifying what they do or what they did and how much they did, um, you know, that's when I noticed that sexual chemistry and, and everything sort of come together when you're not in that competition. Um, and I think for, you know, just to, for any woman out there that may say, okay, well, let's recognize this man let's do that but maybe they're sort of intimidated they don't want to fall into where now the guy has control and you you know when when you start to give someone praise and and you start to fall into this you know pouring your heart out um, you know sometime they may feel like there's a shift in in how much control one has so how do you how do you kind of recognize or avoid that part of it, where if I if I give him so much praise, is he going to take advantage of that?
0: Yeah, I think that's so sad. Honestly, like if, if women are still inside of that, that they can't bestow their heart's appreciation, like I appreciate this about you. I see you. I want this. It makes me feel good when you X, Y, and Z. And share that appreciation without feeling like they're going to lose something. Like, I think that's a very wounded...
1: (sighs) Well, it's the scar tissue. It's kind of like the scar tissue that you were referring to.
0: Right. And so that, exactly. That's a really beautiful... And I think that this is why we walk this path together as women. Because that belief... I, I deeply question that belief. Like, I'm sure it exists in sure. some relationships, absolutely. But I also think that I would question that belief. Like, is that true? Where does that come from? Is that true in your marriage? Is that true in your relationship? Or are we perpetuating these archaic things? That, because all of this is passed down from wound to wound to wound. Like, one of the things I also teach is like, often, not always, but the father wound is sometimes, it, like, for me, in my family. I, in my life, I, I have not endured abuse at the hands of a man. Emotionally, psychology, phys- physically in any way. But the women in my line, my mother and my grandmother, had, had really unfortunate. So all of that was passed down to me. Jillian, don't trust a man. Jillian, be careful. Jillian, don't do... All of these subtle phrases and teachings that they did, of course, to protect me, of course, to keep me safe. But a huge part of my own journey, and again, what I bring women through, is like we have to separate the experiences that our mothers and grandmothers and the whole feminine line had so that we can be in the truth of our experience. Because it was confusing to me. Like, this is I'm not having these experiences, but I've been cautioned so profoundly make sure you always have this julian don't trust a man they always leave all of these things to keep me safe but that actually did not serve the experiences that a i was having and b that my heart truly desired and so if a woman truly believes that by sharing her heart or appreciating her husband or her father or her son that she's going to quote unquote like lose control to him or he'll take control i would say you really have to sit in the truth of that relationship is that true and if it is then you need to make choices based on on the nature of that relationship because that's not a healthy relationship or is there deeper work that you can do to parse out what might live in your system as beliefs that actually may not be serving what is so for
1: you right now in your marriage or relationship with a man sure and you know and, and something that came up in the beginning of our relationship um, when we first got married, um, Jamie didn't know who her father was. Um, she didn't learn until a few years back um, after he had passed away, but you know when when you talk about you know passing down from one to the next she would always say, "My mom would tell me." that men only want sex from you. And that was that protection. And, you know, her her mom had been abused, physically abused. Jamie was witness to that. So when you go back to, you know, masculine or, or men provide and protect, that was absent from her entire childhood and life. And, you know, it, it, it took a, a little bit to sort of... I don't want to say break down the walls because that, that sounds extreme, but, you know, to, to get to a point where she can trust that I was never one of those guys and I I never will be one of those guys. And I think that sort of, you know, helped where we are in in a great place today with our marriage. And I think that, you know, a lot of the talking and soul searching and therapy and working on that, I think that's, what helped us get to this place? That's so wonderful. That yeah. of
0: And I do hear, you know, when women don't feel safe, I am not saying for a hot second to disregard that. Like, that it's so important that we tune into certain men that are safe and, and yeah. experiences that are safe for us. But I also think we have to expand, we have to do our own soul searching, Doug, you know, to really understand what is true for me and as opposed to the beliefs that I was kind of siphoned into my little girl body and or that our culture and film and all these things reflect to us about men. There's a massive agenda, honestly, that's not a word I like, that degrades men and the masculine in our culture.
1: Yeah. It's,
0: it's quite stunning when you start to really study this You're like, and look at it and see it. You're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, wow.
1: Yeah, and I mean there there's there's a lot to it, and the you know before um, before we go there was um, there was also one quote that I saw um, that I saw on your um, I think it might have been on an essay where it said um, it was about dating apps, and you're saying dating apps are no place for feminine women. Um, what did you mean by that? Is it almost like a breeding ground for the expectation of a man just wanting a certain part?
0: Yeah, I, this is such a big conversation, but I do think that the, that the popular, there, there might be exceptions to this. I'm not like a dating app expert, so there mm-hmm. might already be, be alternatives. Sure. But the, the, the main big dating apps, they are predominantly male, like there's, most men are on them, or let me say that differently, the majority of the people on them are men, and I feel like they've just turned into, choose your words, breeding ground for hookup culture, because Mm -hmm. women are in competition, they, let me say this differently, they feel like they're in competition, so they are far too generous with their sex, with opening to their, opening their bodies to men, as a way of responding to the scarcity that I truly believe is like imparted into those dating apps. And I see women coming out of, you know, a year or two of being on those dating apps quite, uh, you know, really needing some restoration of their experiences inside of that. Having said that, I've also worked with and met many women who met their husbands on, you know, Tinder and such. Sure. So, as with anything, it's going to depend upon a woman's orientation to the experience. But I think when women are feel vulnerable about themselves or are still struggling a little with self-worth or self-esteem, they make choices unconsciously responding to... That entire energetic grid, which is male, it's like a masculine grid, and I feel like they can lose themselves inside of that and make choices that actually aren't in their highest, like self-care and self-honor. And then it I just seems sure. perpetuate very negative things. Having said this, there's beautiful results, and it's ultimately up to the woman. Like I really think that women and men need to learn the art of courting, which of course is the opposite of what you and Jamie. Yeah,
1: there was there was courting after, but, yeah, not before. And I, I had never been on dating apps. I'm not sure if Jamie was either. Uh, and this is going back almost 10 years ago. Um, but I I did become an ordained minister to perform weddings, um, for for my best friend. And then from there I kept getting referrals and, you know, three, four, five years into it. Um, the majority of the weddings that I've done were people that met on dating apps. Um, you know, so there, there is that, you know, success with it, but I do see what you're saying about the competition scarcity and, you know, wanting to prove oneself, uh, in that sort of situation. So, um, something to be yeah
0: you've had so many people find each other i think that there's an art to it that women need to learn more carefully than men i think it serves men more organically let me say it like that
1: yeah and i I would definitely agree to that and so um last thing on um eros something that caught my attention i'm curious if you can expand on this Um, One of the quotes on your website says, but before you can blossom into the full radiance of your feminine eros and creational mastery, there is a taboo, a paradox, a universal truth you must be in full approval of, because when we individually judge, diminish, or reject this part of ourselves, it hurts us all. I don't know if it's a simple answer, but I was just wondering um, kind of what, what you meant by that. It just stood out to me.
0: Okay, that's a powerful, like, pull quote out of context, which is great. It's a great thing for me to meet. When I talk about eros, feminine eros, I mean like the part of ourselves that is designed for bliss, that is designed for orgasmic ecstasy, that is, to, and and how healing that is for ourselves. Or, the world, and I know all the moms of little kids are like, Jillian, I'm kind of far flung from that right now, and I know that. <laughs> but when we return to that part of ourselves and actually being permission of, of, that, of, that, in, of that organic design, I don't know how else to say it, that like a woman in her bliss at any age of her life. A woman in her sensual ecstasy, this doesn't even need to be with a man, but a woman that can truly allow herself to yield into that state, you know, in dance and in, 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 in her own artistic or, or erotic kind of expression, her own lovemaking, whatever this may be, how, what deep, eternal, medicine, yeah. divine medicine that is. And I I will say that, you know, it's a heartbreaker for me to, to think and to feel that like millions of women, I feel like, I, I, and I don't know the numbers, I'm, but like kind of will die on their deathbed or have died on their deathbed without being in permission of that part of themselves that that truly surrenders to
1: to divine
0: and human and human ecstasy in whatever way that arises for them, if we can be in permission of that that part of ourselves for men too, I actually think. Yeah. But more deeply, it is it is a feminine essence yeah. ultimately. I think. And or, then, so that's what that's referring to—to to like be in permission of part of ourselves.
1: Well, I think that was absolutely beautifully put. And um, I can't tell you enough how much I, I appreciate the conversation today. And uh, I've definitely learned a lot. And I know that our listeners certainly have. Um, before we go, maybe tell us about uh, what people can find on your website um, and uh, feminineeros or eros.com uh, and where people can go to find you.
0: Thank you so much for that invitation. On Instagram, it's feminine underscore eras. On Facebook, it's Jillian Pafier, my name. I have a free Facebook group, several thousand ladies. Beautiful frequency, unlike any other free Facebook community on the internet, I promise, like beautiful frequency in there. Very active, so women are invited there. And then also, if if you're, if the ladies listening would like to go, and I can share a URL, it's devotion. GIFTS, G-I-F-T-S, and we have a special gift for your audience there as well. Just if they'd like to deepen it, if this calls on any level to kind of their heart, their remembrance, that they're welcome to come there and, um, and receive
1: a free gift from me. Amazing, and I'll make sure to put all those links and everything else um, in the video as well as uh, in the podcast notes. So, Jillian, it was very nice meeting you, and uh, yeah, appreciate the time. What a great interview. Yeah, it was, honestly, it, I've never had a conversation like that, uh, I really do wish that you were there because I, I know, feel like a lot of that stuff sort of applies. Um, and it was a different take on femininity and masculinity. Yeah, and treating your woman like a woman and bringing out her feminine aura, <laughs> and treating men like masculine men and shit. Like, it's do this you whole feel like study. I
2: treat you like a masculine man?
1: I do, but I don't need that. Uh, you know, yeah, like you don't strike me as you, don't do, you really that. don't need that. Like, You've
2: never been one to be like, yeah. "I have to prove I'm a man."
1: No, like I like doing manly things, like, um, like starting fires with yeah, sticks and, and putting up blinds and yeah, stuff like that. Like tinkering
2: I, I, in the garage yeah, with
1: your tools, I like that. <laughs> but there's also there's also something where we, that we spoke about where everybody has a feminine and a masculine side. Yeah, and a lot of her studies. Go back to this archetype, you know, where there's all these predispositions and there's all these just sort of views that are already in your head that sometimes you suppress based on environment. And then she brings out those things to help you feel your best, almost like a blossoming flower. I love if, that. If you are just listening to it, I'm moving my hands out in a way that's <laughs> like blossoming, blossoming a flower.
2: Yeah. He's blossoming his flower right now. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this episode of hot marriage, cool parents. You know, we're going to be back next week with another episode and please do let us know we're over on hot marriage, cool parents on our Instagram. Let us know if the, if you're interested at all in, um, a certain guest or a certain topic. A lot of people have been asking for married at first sight recaps. Yep.
1: So we're going to keep doing that or, yes. you know, we'll do that yeah
2: but I hope you have a great week ahead of you and don't forget to head over to my Instagram page and comment anything that you have on your wish list underneath one of my with the most recent one because each day I'm going to knock it off and so anyways I'm excited that you're here with us and I hope that you're having a great December
1: yes love you and goodbye love you bye